we're very thankful for sponsors like Acorn TV that help us bring you this show every week. But we also like Acorn TV because we've discovered some pretty rad gems to watch. Rad? Yeah, like the one we're recommending at the break. So from both of us at Myths and Legends, we thank Acorn TV for sponsoring today's show because it's sponsors like Acorn TV that make what we do possible. Try Acorn TV free for 30 days by going to acorn.tv and use our promo code LEGENDS in all lowercase letters. That's A-C-O-R-N TV code LEGENDS to get your first 30 days for free. This year, we've discovered Grove Collaborative. Grove Collaborative is healthy home, beauty, and personal care products delivered. And over 2 million families, like ours, trust Grove.co for healthy, natural options. Making the switch to natural products has never been easier. For a limited time, when our listeners go to Grove.co slash legends, you will get to choose a free gift with your first order of $30 or more. But you have to use our special code. Go to Grove.co slash legends to get your exclusive offer. That's Grove.co slash legends. Quick disclaimer this week, it's a Viking story, so there's kind of a lot of violence. It's over the top, almost to the point of being humorous, but it's there. Check out the post on mythpodcast.com for more info. This week on Myths and Legends, we're wrapping up a Viking saga where we'll see the origin story of another winter soldier, a Viking murder machine with a metal arm, see what happens when you invite Thor to date your sister, and how to crash a wedding, Viking style. The creature this week is Little Mucus Boy who might just save your life by peeing on you. This is Myths and Legends, episode 222B, It Takes a Pillage. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Previously on the show, we started the stories of Asmund and Eagle, two Viking teens in search of the kidnapped princesses of Russia, two sisters both named Hild. Their search led them to Jotunheim, giant land, where they met the self-proclaimed Queen of the Giants, Eaglebeak, and her daughter, Skinbeak, who invited the Blood Brothers in. While the gruel cooked, the Vikings were invited to share their life stories. Asmund told his last week, and Eagle was invited to start his which is where we'll jump in right now. Twelve-year-old Eagle had been treading water for two days. This might have been a bad decision. The son of a king in Sweden, Eagle had challenged the boys, his friends on the shore of a massive lake, to a swim. There was an island in the center, one you could only see if you climbed to the top of the tallest tree. They all agreed that they would try to set out for the island, and of the 30 boys that set out, 29 had returned in failure. Eagle, though, was consumed by the fog and lost his way. He had been swimming for two days straight and was about to sink when his feet felt the stones of the shore. He had made it to the island. He was so weak he had to crawl ashore, he tore up some moss and made an improvised blanket. He collapsed on the beach and slept there for the rest of the night. The morning came and he was warmer and moving. He opened his eyes and found that he was shoved in the armpit of a giant. He looked down at the forest floor, which shot past with each footstep. He struggled but couldn't move and demanded to be let down. 
The giant ignored him, giving him a choice. Either Eagle watched his flocks for as long as the giant lived, or the giant killed him right here on the spot. Eagle said that he wouldn't be cowed into submission. The giant slightly squeezed his armpit, nearly crushing Eagle. Eagle said that he had a change of heart and would happily watch the giant's herds forever. Of course, being left alone in the fields, Eagle escaped the absolute first chance that he could. The island being the giant's home, though, and the giant being able to track footprints as readily in water as in snow, the story says, well, it was no time until Eagle was found in a cave on the far side of the island. The giant shook his head. This kid was just lucky none of those goats died, or else they would be having a very different conversation right now. The giant took out two stones, each weighing 40 pounds, some chains, and some clamps. He took two fingers and bent the clamps around Eagle's ankles. That would keep Eagle from running away anymore. And it did. Eagle spent seven long years in this situation until he found the cat. It was just like a normal feral cat living in the woods. But Eagle had an idea. That night, he came back to the cave later than usual. As the giant rolled the stone over the opening, Eagle said that he got all the goats together. And the giant marveled that the kid could still see. <laughs> Eagle laughed. That was all thanks to his golden eyes. The giant cocked a large eyebrow. His what now? Were those different from his normal eyes? Eagle nodded. Oh yeah, these helped him see in the dark, but he could only use them in the dark. The giant demanded to see them, but Eagle said that they wouldn't do the giant or anyone any good unless they were fitted. The giant just said that he just wanted to see something cool here. He liked to think that after seven long years together, he could think of Eagle as a friend. Now out with those magic eyes, or the giant would murder him. Eagle told his giant enslaver to douse most of the fire, and the giant obliged. When the light in the cave was dim, the giant saw two yellow eyes staring back at him. Cat's eyes, from the cat, that Eagle had taken out from underneath his cloak. They glittered like two stars in the firelight. The giant gasped. He had to have those. Would Eagle sell him the eyes? Eagle hid the cat and tossed some wood on the fire. The flame roared to life. He said that the giant knew the cost. He held out his ankles. Break the shackles. Set him free. Then, Eagle could give him the eyes. The giant mulled the prospect over. And Eagle would be able to fit them? To make them work? Eagle nodded. Of course. But the surgery might be a little painful. Basically, he'd have to make room above the giant's current eyes for the giant to switch to the magical eyes at night. And as soon as it was daytime, be sure to take them out. It was blinding. The giant was a little reluctant to be tied to a pole so that the young man he had enslaved and mistreated for the better part of a decade could do impromptu medieval surgery on him. But, you know, cat eyes. So he allowed himself to be bound. Back in the cave with Eagle Beak and Asmund, Eagle grinned. They would never guess what happened next. You blinded him and snuck out under some manner of goat fur while he felt the tops? Asmund asked. Yeah? How'd you know? Dude, that's... that's the Odyssey. Polyphemus, Odysseus, it's what happened in the Odyssey. It's 
really famous. You just like ripping off the Odyssey right now? Okay, I will admit that it is similar to the Odyssey, but I hadn't heard of the story at that point in my life and arrived at the idea organically, so I'm basically as smart as Odysseus. Also, it doesn't end the same way. I didn't hide under the goat, but killed one, skinned it, and wore its pelt. And the giant quickly guessed which of his goats was a goat, and which was a Viking in furs. He wrenched Eagle from the ground, but thanks to the Viking's definitely intentional shoddy craftsmanship, the fur cloak came apart. Eagle rolled away. The giant held up both of his hands. Well, Eagle had beaten him. Bravo. As a show of no hard feelings, he wanted to present Eagle with a golden ring to commemorate this event. Y you didn't take the ring, did you? Asmund asked. That's an obvious trap. In retrospect, yes, it is easy to see, Eagle replied. In retrospect? In every spect, Asmund replied. He sighed. What happened? The giant was holding a sword behind his back and struck out at the sound of Eagle's voice. Eagle dodged, saving his life, but the blade cut the side of his head and sliced his ear off. Eagle screamed, grabbed the sword, and cut off the giant's hand. Cupping his bloody head, he used his other hand to pry open the giant's fingers and get the ring. Eagle didn't end up killing the giant, saying that the creature could live with his pain and cursing him that his last day would be his worst. Eagle took off into the woods, sleeping on the ground for a few nights until he came to the coast of the island at the center of the lake. There, of course, he found Viking ships. It wasn't long until Eagle was leading the crew. Their leader, Borgar, took him on as a charity. But the kid proved really good at killing stuff and people, especially the berserker that killed Borgar, leaving a power vacuum that Eagle quickly filled. I'm bored, Eagle said to his men while they sat at anchor, the winds and the storm keeping them from doing anything else that week. I'm gonna go inland, see what's up. He wasn't a league from his ships when he heard the shouting, and he felt the earth tremble. Eagle emerged into a clearing, where he saw a mound. On it, two Yatnar, giants, were fighting over a ring. It was a male and female giant, and even though the female was putting up a fight, she was barely deterring the man from taking the ring from her. So, of course, Eagle jumped in. We've talked about this. I am not an epic Viking hero, if I saw two giants arguing over a ring in the woods, I would let them keep arguing and get away as fast as possible, not leap out from the trees, sword drawn, and slice off a bicep, as Eagle did to the male giant. Thinking it through is not quite Eagle's strong suit, because the bicep blocked the sun and flopped to the ground like a dead fish, pinning Eagle to the grass. The giant let go of the ring to draw his own sword, striking out at Eagle, and cutting the man's hand off. Eagle screamed, looked at his hand still gripping the sword in the grass by his side, and saw the giant coming in for the kill. He kicked the giant bicep off himself and ran for the woods. Nothing more he could do here. He lost the giant in the woods, and soon he was back to his ship, 
He kept a calm face publicly on the ship, but the pain radiated out from where his hand had been. It was for that reason that, at the next stop, he snuck off into the woods. He had a fever. He feared that the wound was infected. He needed to dip it and himself in a cool stream. Lowering his arm, he exhaled at the relief. Opening his eyes after the sigh, he noticed that other eyes were open and staring at him dipping down into the stream. Uh, hi, unattended dwarf child, Eagle said. The kid looked at the Viking and his hand. Wordlessly, the kid dipped his pail into the water. Eagle nodded. Good move, not talking to strangers. Here you go, kid. He put his hand in his mouth and, with his teeth, loosened the ring and took it into his own mouth. Then, as the dwarf passed him by, the Viking with an infected arm and fever spit the ring into the bucket as a gift, which probably played better in the time before COVID, let alone germ theory, but here we are. Eagle laid by the stream, closed his eyes for a moment, and he opened them. A dwarf, a mythological creature from Svartalheim, was standing over him, holding the ring. He asked why Eagle had given his son this gift. Eagle shrugged. He was dying. What use did he have for gold? The dwarf looked at Eagle's arm. Yes, Eagle was dying. He looked at the ring, obviously a work of the artisans of Jotunheim. This payment was sufficient. He told Eagle to come with him. Eagle looked up. Why? The dwarf, walking toward the stone arc of his home, the pathway burrowing deep within the ground, said, The Viking wanted to live, didn't he? Eagle didn't scream. The medicine and the infection was the easy part. By morning, it was gone. But the dwarven couple and their young son, hiding out on Midgard because Thor is the worst, weren't done yet. The dwarf said that this next part, uh, it would hurt. He wasn't wrong, but Eagle didn't cry out. Not when the dwarf used a primitive drill to bore up Eagle's arm to the elbow, or when he cut away the flesh of what used to be Eagle's wrist or hammered on a metal socket. When it was done, Eagle raised his arm. What had once been his hand was now a short sword, permanently grafted and bolted onto his arm. It was part of him, as strong as Thor's hammer. He thanked the dwarves, stayed with them for a few more days while he recovered, and they parted as friends. I have something to tell you all, Eagle said with a wry smile back in the cave with Asmund in Eaglebeak. That eagle whose story I told? That was me. He sat back with a grin. This was actually in the original and I have no idea why. The other two looked at each other. Was that something that was supposed to be surprising? Eh, better to just let him have this one. No way! Wow! Did not see that one coming. What a twist, they both said. Eaglebeak looked to the gruel and the venison. Still not ready? Cool. Her turn. Eaglebeak was the youngest of 18 daughters and two sons, children of the king and queen of Jotunheim after Thermir. When their parents died, 
the king and queen left the money to the daughters, but the throne to the sons. The parents owned three remarkable treasures, a chess set, a horn, and a golden ring. The brothers managed to take the chess set and the horn, but the sisters, all 18 of them, held on to that ring. Eaglebeak being the self-reported prettiest and nicest of the sisters, she was Cinderella and forced to serve her 17 older sisters. She had to wait on them day and night, and if she stopped or talked back, she would leave bruised and beaten. Huddled in the corner of the kitchen, Eaglebeak wished for vengeance. She hated her sisters. They had all been a happy family when her parents were still alive. But now, she was miserable. She couldn't leave, she had no place to go. She could barely tolerate her life. So she did the one thing the giants never did. She prayed to him. The next evening, there was a knock at the door. And when the sisters answered it, in strode a man with long hair, a curly red beard, and a hammer on his belt. Thor winked and flashed those pearly yellows and asked who was the eldest sister. Eaglebeak's oldest sister raised her hand sheepishly. Thor swaggered back to her, gripped her, and lifted her up into his arms. As he carried her back into the bedroom, Eaglebeak smiled as she saw the same look of hatred on the faces of all her sisters that she felt every night. It's said that Thor and the eldest sister spent the night together. I'm not quite sure what they did. Maybe it was a fun slumber party. Must have told some scary ghost stories, though. Because there was a lot of screaming, but like a different type of screaming, all night long. Who knows, though? Spooky. In the morning, Thor opened the door and nodded to the sisters, who had stayed outside, listening all night. He shouted over his shoulder that he would be back tonight, eldest sister. As Thor was whipping his goat-drawn chariot outside, the sisters were filtering into the eldest's bedroom. She said that she was feeling great, though she was tired and needed to get some sleep now. You may leave, sisters. The young women didn't leave. They stepped closer to their sister, still relaxing in bed. The feeling of hatred when they saw Thor carry her off the night before only intensified at having listened to that all night. The eldest said that they could seriously leave. Go. She was tired. They stepped closer. Sisters? Outside the room, Eaglebeak smiled as she listened to a very different type of scream than she had heard the night before. We'll see Eaglebeak's plan with Thor unfold, but that will be right after this. That night, when Thor returned, he asked for the eldest sister, and he either did or didn't know, but he definitely didn't care when he picked up the next in line and took her back to the bedroom. It seems like if you're gonna manipulate your sisters into killing each other by recreating the exact same scenario 17 times in a row, things have to go pretty much perfectly. And they did. 
I don't know if it was a surprise to Eaglebeak's older sister when Eaglebeak entered the room, but soon Eaglebeak was the only one to remain. Oh, and I guess before each sister died too, they uttered a curse on the others that if any should have a child by Thor, that child would neither grow nor thrive. Eaglebeak said that that was the case. Her daughter, Thor's child, was a full foot shorter than she was when the girl was born. With her sisters dead and her brothers off somewhere, she was the sole survivor and the self-declared heir to the throne of Jotunheim. She looked around her cave. Yep, pretty great. Eaglebeak said that one facet to the curse that she wasn't expecting was that ever since Thor, she had been driven by an urge so strong that she didn't feel like she could live without a man. Seeing as all the men in her homeworld had either been forced into hiding or bludgeoned to death by her ex, she went abroad to meet someone in Midgard. It could have gone better, but probably not much worse for Eaglebeak when she tried to court a king. If you're trying to make something happen, maybe don't start at that person's wedding ceremony. Knowing that she couldn't get with the king while his fiance was in the picture, she lied down on the street and wait to ambush the bride on the way to her wedding. The bride passed the bushes where Eaglebeak laid, looked in, and saw a giant woman laying there. So she kicked the giant, breaking Eaglebeak's thigh bones. In indescribable pain, Eaglebeak laid in the dirt while the bride was led into the hall to her seat. Eaglebeak limped inside, transformed into a fly, with the plan to get inside the woman's body and then turn back into a giant, exploding her in the process. The queen-to-be spotted the fly, gripped a knife handle, and smashed Eaglebeak, breaking her ribs. Eaglebeak buzzed haphazardly from the hall. Finally, she just resorted to flat-out kidnapping. When the bride retired to their chambers, the king was all set to meet her when, from nowhere, a woman limped by, grabbed him, and carried him from the castle. As she cradled this guy in her arms, she grew in size, lumbering down the cliffs to her waiting ship. Looking back at the castle, laughing, Eaglebeak didn't see the boulder in front of her. She caught her toe, tripped, and accidentally flung the king back into the castle. He went right through an open window and bounced down on the bed next to his new wife. Eaglebeak, after rolling down a hill with two broken legs and several shattered ribs, passed out. And when I awoke, I was forced to go to the underworld, to H-E-L Hell, to retrieve some magical items, Eaglebeak said to the two Viking blood brothers. The two guys looked at each other. Why? What was the point of that and how could they force her to go anyway? She was a giant. She said they captured her and told her she had to go. And so you, you still went? Why not just leave the minute she was free? She waved her hands at honor and stuff. They replied that she was kidnapping their king, though? She glared and said, did they want to hear her story or just pick it apart? They said, sorry, sorry, continue. Eaglebeak did, detailing how she had been given an inescapable, completely binding task to get three things from H-E-L hell a cloak that fire couldn't burn, a drinking horn that could never be emptied, and a chess set that would play itself whenever anyone challenged it. She emerged from hell a few weeks later with the items, 
but without half the skin on her face, half the hair on her head, a broken nose, three missing teeth, two fingers missing, and, oh yeah, no skin on her body. Also, she now had chronic heartburn. It had been an ordeal to get the items. Basically, just unmitigated, relentless violence. She had to drink poison at a banquet to get the drinking horn, and that led to the heartburn. She had to fight three giant sisters for the chess set, leading to all the stuff that happened to her but her skin, and then she met Odin, and maybe his most sinister garb, pretending to be the devil himself. They spent some time together, because why not? And then she had to jump over fire to get the fireproof cloak, which led to her clothes burning up and her losing most of her skin. She also got a magic mirror that, if someone looked into it, she could make them appear to be anything they wanted or take away their sight. After coming back, she met and settled down with Scrog, the Jotun lawmaker. The young men nodded. Wow. All right, then. Not that it was a competition, but oof, she wins. She looked at Eagle. Her story wasn't actually finished yet. The young Viking looked back. Why was she smiling? She turned to her daughter. Get the box, dear. The girl left and returned with a small casket, a sweet fragrance emanating from the inside. Smiling, Queen Eaglebeak looked to Eagle and opened the box. Inside was his hand, still warm and steaming, sure, and the veins, quote, throbbing. Eagle looked to the hand, looked to her, and then back to the hand. How did she come by this? She said those giants fighting on the mound in her story, that time when Eagle intervened, that was her and one of her brothers, Gott. He had arrived when Queen Eaglebeak was out tending the goats and slipped her daughter a drink that made it so she started screaming and couldn't be stopped until Eaglebeak brought the ring to the top of that mound. Really specific drink, but okay, Asmund interjected. Eaglebeak said that, during that fight, a tiny stranger ran from the woods, slicing off her brother's bicep and losing his own hand in the process. She picked up the hand and kept it wrapped in life herbs ever since so that it wouldn't die. The fact that it's pulsing with life, in addition to being super creepy and off-putting, demonstrated that she had been successful. Now, if you wanted to, she could tear off that ugh, nasty dwarf handiwork and reattach it. Eagle swung his sword arm. He didn't think the dwarf work was that bad. It was actually pretty sweet. Eaglebeak said that, oh, sweetie, this is Norse myth, so they're all pretty racist towards mythological dwarves. Eagle looked at her. But, like, when we're talking about dwarves, we mean the mythological ones, right? We're not referring in any way to a person of short stature, right? Eaglebeak's eyes widened. Whoa, no, she had nothing against any humans, just mythological dwarves. The other gods all gave them this origin story that they came from maggots as a joke and they just, like, went with it. Okay, Eagle said, still uncomfortable. Well, is there, like, a better name they can go by then? Just so there's no confusion on, say, a 21st century podcast? Oh, yeah, definitely. They also go by Dark Elves in Norse myths, Eaglebeak offered. Eagle grimaced. Yeah, that's not better. Let's just, would she just fix his arm now? It was all horrifically painful, prying off a metal socket from his bones, but Eagle kept it together. 
She rubbed the healing herbs on his arm, and it took Eagle sitting still the rest of the day. But the next morning, he rotated his wrist and flexed his fingers. It was healed. The giant queen said that she knew how they could find what they sought. The Viking blood brothers looked at each other, then back to Eaglebeak, clearly puzzled. The Russian princesses? The two sisters both named Hild that were kidnapped by monsters? The ones that you want to marry? The Vikings sat back, oh, 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 yes, yes, right, that's right, wow. They had gotten so deep into these backstories that they almost completely forgot the overarching narrative. Feels like it had been a week, right? Eaglebeak said that she knew who had taken the girls. Wait for it. It was their shape-shifting brothers. I told you that it wasn't just a framing narrative. They were going to marry the princesses on Christmas Day. On the days before Christmas, all the giants would be gathered to determine which one of the princesses had the greater skill. The pair of brothers should stay with Eaglebeak until Christmas, at which point they can go to the wedding and save the princesses in big, dramatic fashion. Scrog, the Jotun lawgiver, Eaglebeak's partner and, yeah, Skinbeak's stepdad, looked on the scene and grimaced. He was going to go on record saying that he wasn't down with making kidnapped brides compete, or for kidnapping brides in general, but whatever. The giants had gotten together in a rare gathering at Christmas time. Which, yeah, they're part of a different religion, but this is what you get when your only sources on Norse myth are Christian writers. They made the two young women work for the better part of a year to see who could make the better gift for her future husband. Brynhild, the warrior, made a magic carpet. It was a carpet that could fly through the air and show you a whole new world. Beckhild, the seamstress, had sewed a shirt that no weapon could bite and in which no one swimming would ever grow tired. The giants in attendance marveled over both creations. In the end, they were divided and it was up to Scrog the lawgiver, to give the final verdict. Both gifts being equal, Brynhild was the more beautiful sister, so she would marry Gott, the giant who kidnapped her, and he and his brother would be co-rulers of Jotunheim. Everyone was invited to their double wedding. I, I thought Eaglebeak was the undisputed queen of Jotunheim, Asmund whispered to Eagle, them doing the two kids in a trench coat thing to do some reconnaissance on the fate of the princesses before the weddings. Yeah, suddenly her hiding in a cave and eating gruel only once a week kind of makes more sense. Nearby giants heard from the short stranger's belly button. Huh, weird. The time for the wedding arrived, when Eaglebeak couldn't even pretend to be the ruler of Jotunheim, and so she set out with her two Viking friends. They needed a bit more mobility at this time, so they used the magic mirror that she got from the underworld, from Odin, because... He can see the future, and he loves messing with giants. And by messing with, I mean murdering. When Asmund looked into it, he took on the appearance of the giant Fjallar, an eagle transformed into Frosty. The two approached the cave where the wedding was to take place. Well, 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 Gott, Eaglebeak's brother said when she entered. If it wasn't his sister, the queen. Eaglebeak smiled and shook her head. Not anymore she was willing to recognize his authority. Gott crossed his arms. Hmm, was that so? The last time he saw her, they were fighting over the ring. He felt his arm 
and his missing left bicep. That fight cost him his bodybuilding career. You never had a bodybuilding career, Eaglebeak shouted back, and I never will, because of you, got spat back, then was quieted. When he saw what Eaglebeak was offering him, the ring, the one they had been fighting over, one of their family's three greatest treasures. She said that she wanted to be a family again. Tears welled in Gott's eyes, and he jumped up, hugging his sister. The ceremony was beautiful for a wedding in a cave where the brides were being forced into marriage and the attendants yelled crude jokes at them as they walked down the aisle. Fjallar and Frosty, aka Asmund and Eagle, aka Eaglebeaks plus two, were put in charge of serving, and serve they did. As part of the plan, they served strong drinks to the giants. When the time came, Eaglebeak, who had already informed the princesses of the plot, gathered everyone together. Okay, now was the time. They had to be quick, quiet. And then they looked around at the party. To the giants, the brothers had overserved, laughing, yelling, and cha-chaing real smooth, and decided that they didn't need to be all that sneaky. They gathered up the magic carpet, the shirt, all the money they could get their hands on, and just walked out. Right this way, sir, Frosty, a.k.a. Eagle, said to one of Eaglebeak's brothers. There were a total of three exits from the main cave, and one of the giant king brothers was taking the third to the private, smaller rooms. Your wife, Beckhild, is waiting for you inside, Eagle said. When the giant rumbled past, he grabbed the guy's hair and drew his sword. But the giant, while not expecting the attack, was ready. He was a royal who had survived successive attacks from the Acer. So when an assassin grabbed his hair and brought his sword down, the giant flung his own head back and pounded it into Eagle's head, tearing skin from the Viking's forehead, as the story says. Eagle missed his killing blow and only managed to lop off the giant's nose, which, the story assures us, was big enough to fill up a horse-drawn cart. The giant managed to rush outside and scream out that there were assassins among them. Bedlam broke out inside the reception, which, at that point, had been full of sleepy, slurred conversations and that one couple still out there slow dancing. They rose up to attack, but the rescue team was ready. The lawgiver, Scrog, stone sober, was at one door with an axe ready and cut down anyone who walked through it. Eaglebeak and the princesses were at another with Eaglebeak's magic mirror, which, remember, also blinds people. So the giants who were blinded, felt the shoving of other giants, and they all started to fight each other. Got Eaglebeak's other brother, and one bleeding nose hole away from being the sole king of Jotunheim, heard the commotion, rose from his seat, and rushed to his bedroom, where he didn't find Brynhild waiting, but Asmund, who, remember, is still in the form of a giant himself. Asmund had stolen the only sword that could harm Got. Pro tip, if only one weapon in the nine worlds can harm you, Maybe don't keep it in your bedroom. Asmund raised it over his head. But the scraping on the stone caused it to slow enough for God to pick up a boulder and throw it. As the boulder flew, the sword came down on Gott's eyebrow, cutting him straight through the chest and severing his ribs. The boulder connected with Asmund's chest, and he went down. This 
got a little gruesome because when Gott rushed the man to take revenge, he got tangled up in his own entrails, tripped, and died. Asman stood and ran for Eagle, who was still duking it out with the other giant brother. Asman could see that his blood brother's strength was failing, so Asman rushed in and grabbed the giant by the head. Eagle followed Asman's lead and dove for the giant's feet. Together, the blood brothers wrung him out like a dish rag. They let the body fall, and it was over. They had won. Scrog, the lawgiver, had killed 90 giants at his door, and the giants that had tried to go through Eaglebeak's door had rallied, forced their way through, and charged directly off a cliff. Well, Eaglebeak, it's been real, Asmund said. It was the tail end of winter, almost a year since they had arrived in Jotunheim. Eaglebeak was now the undisputed queen of Jotunheim, for real this time, because anyone who might be interested in disputing said claim had been murdered by her, Thor, or Vikings. Eaglebeak told them not to be strangers, and the brothers set off for the coast. They arrived with one week left on their edict to their crew to stay put and the guys were just happy to be able to leave. Together, they all set off for Russia. I had my usual joke lined up, where I was going to say something along the lines of, let's pretend the princesses consented to the marriage, because a lot of these stories don't really seem to care about that. But this story actually does care about that. The king offered the young men a reward, but they said they would like to marry the princesses, if the princesses would have them. And the king actually asked, the princesses knew these two men had helped free them and said that they didn't want to be married to anyone else. So, Eagle married Beckhild and Asmund married Brynhild. With even more interconnectedness, Eaglebeak and Scrog arrived at the wedding where it was revealed that the king and queen who sent Eaglebeak to the underworld were none other than Asmund's mom and dad. They recognized her instantly. Kind of hard to miss a giant who kidnapped you or your husband and who's also missing half of her face and skin, they all reconciled, and as a way of saying no hard feelings, they gave her a butter keg, so big that only she could lift it, and a literal ton of bacon. When King Hertrig died, Eagle became king, and Asmund sailed the world over with his wife, Brynhild, who sadly lived for like two more weeks, before becoming sick and dying. Asmund then built the biggest ship in the history of the world, and sailed around. The story says that he was considered one of the greatest kings who never actually ruled a kingdom, kind of a really small category on that one, and he met his end with the 3,000 guys who travel with him on a ship, when a certain one-eyed warrior recognized his potential and speared him through. His brief life of conflict and strife over, Asmund woke up to impending conflict and strife, and his eyes snapped open in Valhalla, Odin's Hall of the Slain, where the best warriors that have ever existed drink, fight, and prepare for the end of the world. That's it for the story of Eagle and Asmund. And if you're curious about the end, Asmund will remain in Valhalla, preparing for Ragnarok, 
The Doom of the Gods, The End of the World. We covered it in episode 88, if you're interested in learning more about that. Next week, we're back in Japanese legends with a team-up of five samurai who go on to fight the worst demon in Japanese history. And, of course, there's rabbit and monkey sumo wrestling. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site. For less than a shower curtain with a pocket for your phone and tablet, so you can watch movies or stay up on social media in the shower, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of this show. Because really, we get enough screen time. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is Little Mucus Boy from the Shimsham people in the Pacific Northwest. Little Mucus Boy is the result of probably one of the worst tragedies imaginable, the disappearance of a child. When the Witch of the Woods kidnapped three boys from the village, surprising them at the river and taking some of the gum she was chewing and putting it in their eyes, their strength left them and she placed them in a basket. The mother, understandably, wept. There was nothing she could do to save her children. In fact, she wept for four straight days, and only the cries of another child roused her from her mourning. They were the cries of little mucus boy, Anduakut. Cooing, very sticky baby at her feet, Anduakut was the result of four days of unrestrained grief. The woman scooped him up and rushed him to her husband, but before she found the man in the village, the sticky, greening yellow child had climbed down from her arms, looked into the forest, and, with narrowed mucus eyes, said he needed a bow and arrow. I'm generally against giving babies weapons, but if a magical snot infant stands in front of you and calmly asks for one, well, exceptions can be made. The boy made his way into the woods, but not before he made his face look very pretty. When the Witch of the Woods met him, she was stunned. How did he make his face look so beautiful? Did he have like a YouTube channel with tutorials or... The boy said that he didn't need one. He could tell the witch right now. His mother put a giant stone on his head and hammered it until his skull was pieces. That was what made his face look so beautiful. The witch begged for the same treatment, so little mucus boy gave it to her. He hammered her head flat and after she was dead, went to go rescue the children. But when he entered her house, he heard her calling from behind, saying that she didn't look better at all. What was all this? Wait, was he trying to kill her? Because he couldn't kill her like that. She had her heart hidden outside of her body, hanging in the corner of her house. She would never die. So, the boy took aim at the little black heart hanging in the corner of her house, shot his arrow, and she died. For real this time. Little mucus boy searched the house for the children, and eventually found them, hanging around the fire. They had been killed and cooked. He doused the flames, took the bodies down, and urinated on them, thus bringing them back to life. All the children, having been caught, killed, cooked, and resurrected by urine, returned to their mother in the village, and took a bath. All the while, little mucus boy rambled on down the road. Some legends say that he's still out there, bringing help to those in need and peeing on strangers to bring them back to life. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. 
Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free. And the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Today's episode was brought to you thanks to Acorn TV. This is a great time to try Acorn TV and stream shows you've never seen, like Mystery Road. The Australian Outback, A Shocking Disappearance, and Detectives from Different Worlds. Will you see the twist coming? I don't know. From both of us at Myths and Legends, we thank Acorn TV for sponsoring today's show. Because it's sponsors like Acorn TV that make what we do possible. Try Acorn TV free for 30 days by going to acorn.tv and use our promo code LEGENDS in all lowercase letters. That's A-C-O-R-N dot TV. Code LEGENDS to get your first 30 days for free. All right. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> 